0: This week, we begin our series on the tarot. If you have a deck that you like to work with, take a minute and go grab that. You'll want to look at the cards while we talk about them. This poem is The Lovers by Timothy Liu. I was always afraid of the next card the psychic would turn over for us. Forgive me not knowing how we were every card in the deck. Welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of The Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? I remember receiving my first tarot deck. I was about 14, and my aunt saw something in me and decided to give me a tarot deck to start my studies. She had learned tarot from her grandmother, and it was time for me to start learning. Um, my aunt is married to my mother's brother, so she was not raised in the my family of origin um, and brought this very magical component into my life when I was pretty young. In my family of origin, my mom's mom carried a lot of folk magic uh, from her German family, um, from the Black Forest. They uh, would go to powwows, which are um, sort of German folk healing and folk magic traditions. Uh, She read all of us with a pendulum as children and told us, Um, how many children we would have and what the genders would be. Um, She would carry a peach pit in her purse for protection. Um, So there were sort of folk magic traditions, but they were very Christian, um, very connected to the church. So even though there was this very clear thread of magic, it was absorbed by the Christian tradition. And so when I started to study tarot um, at an early age, and I started to become really interested in psychic phenomenon and the paranormal, I received a lot of support from my father, who uh, has always been sort of an alchemist and um, a self-taught chemist and a self-taught astrologer, and uh, has. He was Rosicrucian, and just always my dad really has been committed to the esoteric and the occult my whole life, which has given me a tremendous amount of spiritual privilege. Um, And his family line was, uh, you know, hermits and dissidents and alchemists and preachers, (laughs) non-traditional preachers. Um, So I have this sort of background of magic my family, which I don't take lightly and I'm hugely grateful for, and when I first started working with the tarot in my teen years, um, I sort of didn't know where to start. I I just took the deck and I rifled through it and I looked at the pictures, and that first deck was um, really based on the Rider-Waite tarot. It was not a Rider-Waite deck, but it was loosely based on the Rider-Waite deck which was a great starting point. Um, It really helped me get connected to the archetypes um, within the deck. And so um, I started to learn the history of the tarot, and I learned that there wasn't much history that we really know. Um, We know that it probably originated somewhere in Italy, um, probably in the 1400s. There are schools of thought that believe that it came to Italy from Egypt or the Middle East. Um, A lot of that is veiled and lost in history. We know that the tarot began as uh, entertainment and just card play, and then evolved into a system of divination over time. The system of the tarot is so comprehensive, which is, I think, what has made it so enduring, It really captures the whole of the human experience in a way that is relatable to anyone at any point in history, in any culture. And tarot has really moved across cultures and has been adopted by occult societies the world over since its inception. And it's also been modified. There are now hundreds of different varieties of tarot and also oracle decks have come out of this as well. Um, The difference between tarot and oracle, tarot has a very specific structure. Uh, There are 22 major arcana cards, and then there are four suits of minor arcana, um, and all tarot is based on that same system. Whereas oracle decks are, they could be anything. They could be an an animal spirit oracle, they could be a plant oracle, they could be a unicorn oracle, a dragon oracle, (laughs) Arthurian legend oracle, Um, any theme you can think of, there is an oracle deck created based on that theme. And the oracle gives us a lot more freedom where we're not, we don't have to memorize the systems of the tarot, we can just use our intuition and the oracle cards serve as a doorway of perception to trigger our inner subconscious knowing, our inner intuitive knowing. Tarot can be used that way as well. You don't have to know the system of tarot to use a tarot deck uh, for divination. You can use it like an oracle, and that's how I used it when I first started out. I used it like an oracle. I just turned a tarot card over, and I allowed the imagery to start stirring in me and speaking to me uh, without truly understanding the system's within the tarot universe. So I've been uh, practicing as a tarot reader for about 26 years now. Um, And I still am not deeply committed uh, to the standard systems of interpretation of tarot. I understand them now, but I will still keep my intuition open and allow the tarot to speak to me as an oracle, even within the systems of tarot. So today I'm going to give you just a brief overview of those systems within the tarot, so that if you want to start to study um, tarot as a divination tool for you, that you feel empowered to sort of know where to start. So we'll begin with the major arcana. The major arcana tell the story of the human's journey through life, and what's also been called the hero's journey. This is a very masculine version of a human life. Um, There is another interpretation of the major arcana in the motherpiece tarot, um, which is much more aligned with a feminine and community-based worldview. The traditional tarot major arcana is a much more masculine and solar worldview, but that's where we'll start because that's where everybody starts for the most part. Um, and then we'll spend a little time in the Mother Peace version uh, where we can see a more feminine spin on it. So the Major Arcana is 22 uh, cards. 21 of those are numbered. The first is zero. So we don't start at one. We actually start at zero. And zero is the full Uh, If you have a tarot deck, you might want to go ahead and grab it for this series so that you can look at the cards and be with the cards and sort of commune with them um, while we talk about them. So the Fool, as you can see on whatever tarot deck you have, whatever version of the tarot, um, the images are usually pretty similar. There's a young person, um, sort of androgynous looking, maybe more masculine or more feminine, depending on your deck. And he is sort of carefree. He's not really watching where he's going. He's looking up at the sky. Clearly he set out on an adventure. He's carrying his belongings with him. His companion dog or a spirit animal or familiar um, helps him where he's lacking. So he's sort of lacking in intuition a little bit. He's starry-eyed and um, looking at the horizon But his intuition, his little familiar is right there with him, um, trying to keep him safe and guide him, uh, trying to warn him that he's about to actually step off of a cliff (laughs) um, in most depictions of this uh, this part of the story. So the tarot um, archetype of the fool tells us about the beginning, the starry-eyed, hopeful, inspired, dreaming... Part of ourselves that is ready for something new, who's ready to leap and the net will appear, who's full of hope and inspiration and gullibility and innocence and naivete. Um, So within this card is both hope and joy and inspiration and a warning to be careful for what you don't see. To remind yourself to connect to your intuition and your discernment, even as you start something new, even as you're feeling excited. Um, yes, it is an exciting time, and watch for pitfalls too, um, and and lean on those around you to help help you stay safe. But this card is full of potential, and um, and the encouragement that it's the right time to step into something new. Um, once we leave the full, we move into the magician. The magician is the first numbered card in our major arcana. It's the number one. Um, and all of the cards have a numerological significance. Um, so one in numerology being, again, beginnings, sovereignty, um, the single one or the self-contained individualism of the number one, um, also, you know the the one which leads to the two. so it's it's one, but there will be a a movement into union. So there's this promise of movement even in the number mm-hmm. one. The magician, if you are looking at your um, tarot deck and your magician card, Usually he has one arm, the right arm reaching up to the heavens, the left arm reaching down to the earth. This is an ancient um, posture for connecting heaven and earth as above, so below. It's a very alchemical posture. Um, It's a posture we actually use in magical rituals sometimes to bind heaven and earth um, in our manifestations. So the magician in front of him has all of the elements of the suits of the tarot, the minor arcana. He has the cup uh, for the cup of the suit of cups. He has the sword for the suit of swords. He has the pentacle for the suit of pentacles and the wand for the suit of wands. So right before him on the working table, the magician's table, are all of the elements that are needed um, to create magic, uh, to create a life. He has everything he needs um, and he has some mastery over doing that. For me, the major message of the Magician card is that you already have everything you need. All you have to do is exert your will, make a plan, start working, and the way is open. Um, So there's a lot more we could talk about there with the Magician, but I really want to keep this just introductory uh, so you kind of get a feel. Um, So we move then from the Magician to the number two Major Arcana card, which is the High Priestess. So we've made that movement from the singular one, the one who is individual and has everything he needs and is able to make things happen in the world, to that two. Like, wait, there's something more than this. There's something more than my individuality and my individualism and my striving and ambition. There's something else here. And the high priestess carries that energy, the subconscious, the instinct, so we've kind of taken the fool and separated the characters of the fool. We have the young person who's about to step off the cliff, who's got his bags and he's ready to go. And um, he's full of individualism and full of potential. He kind of becomes the magician. And then the familiar, the spirit animal, the the instinctual animal being that's with him, in my mind, sort of becomes the high priestess, the subconscious, intuitive gateway to greater knowing that there's more here than what meets the eye. There's a whole subterranean universe um, that is under the world and will feed the magic and generate wisdom in the process. Just as the magician has everything worldly in front of him that he needs to create. The High Priestess has everything of of the inner world of the hidden and occult and concealed that actually generate wisdom and discernment. So um, in a lot of decks she is seated in front of a screen of pomegranates or she has pomegranate imagery around her. Um, That is reflective of the descent of Persephone um, and her time in the underworld. So the high priestess carries this underworld energy, this death and life and rebirth, um, the cycles of time. She carries all of that greater wisdom within her. Moving from the high priestess, we come to number three. The number three in the major arcana is the empress. Um, So we move from the magician, who has all that he needs to create in the world, to the high priestess, the under, uh, underworld uh, subconscious intuition, to the empress, which is the great mother, the fertile earth, the grain goddess, that which fertilizes and nurtures. So she's the synthesis of the magician and the high priestess. She ha- She is fertilized. She has united the inner world and the outer world within her being to birth something new, um, something more whole. She is often depicted pregnant on a throne, surrounded by grain. She's associated with Demeter and other grain goddesses. Um, And in a reading, she represents this like incredibly fertile time. She also represents the feminine, um, both individual and collective. Um, And she is ripe, Mm -hmm. ripe for change, ripe for growth, um, ready to birth something into the world. Uh, Moving then, um, this is the last card we'll cover today. Uh, We'll keep this going next week. But moving then um, into the number four card, that's the emperor. The emperor is the um, masculine counterpart to the Empress, just as the High Priestess is the feminine counterpart to the magician. Um, and the Emperor is that which protects and guards what is new and what is coming forth into the world. So the Empress is full of potential, just as the Fool was. Um, and she is guarded and protected and enabled to actually birth safely into the world by this energy of the Emperor. The Emperor carries leadership and power and stability. He is the foundation of this new uh, life that's coming into the world. The feminine births the new life uh, through the empress, and the masculine guards what is fresh and new through the emperor. Uh, He reminds us of the need for structure and discipline. This is a very Saturnian card. When I see the emperor, I think of Saturn um, and Capricorn and this energy of um, power, also Aries. There's a lot of leadership and fire in the emperor as well. Um, so when the emperor comes up in a, in a reading, it's speaking to me of a time of uh, stability, the need for stability, the need for discipline, the need to protect what is precious, um, the need to be a leader. It may also signify someone in our lives that is carrying that energy. Perhaps someone new is coming into our life who carries a lot of emperor energy. So. Um, I just did a quick run-through there of the first five cards in the Major Arcana. Um, There is a light and shadow side to each card. So, for instance, with the Emperor, the light side of the Emperor, or the the whole and healed side of the Emperor, is the chivalrous king, full of integrity, um, caring for his people. The shadow side of the Emperor is controlling and dominating and authoritarian. Um, So you can read these different meanings as upright and reversed if that is um, how you decide to practice. So if the card is upright, that is the light side of the archetype. If the card is upside down, that is the unhealed, unintegrated side of the archetype. Um, Not everybody reads the reversals that way. Um, Some people read them as whole. So you offer all possibilities to your querent or to yourself. Um, if you're doing the reading to yourself or for yourself. So the light side of the empress is life-giving and nurturing and um, encouraging. The shadow side of the empress is the overbearing, sort of strangulating mother, the over-involved mother, the too-good mother, um, like Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes talks about, um, the one that smothers and and sort of hovers and destroys in her loving. Um, The dark side of the high priestess is you know, we can be lost in the mystic's madness. Um, we can become overly suspicious. Um, yeah, so each card has a light and a dark side. And the more you work with the card, the more both sides of that archetype will reveal themselves to you. Uh, so we're going to just stop there for this week. Uh, we move through a little bit of the history and the first few cards in the Major Arcana. And the next week, we'll pick up with the Hierophant. Thank you for joining me for the Plant Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Schrader. I'm an herbalist, a mother, a holistic nurse, and a practitioner of the ancient ways. You can connect with me between episodes at therebelherbalist.com or on Instagram and Facebook, The Rebel Herbalist. Thank you for joining.